Happy Friday, and welcome to Episode 9 of the Words from the River podcast. We're back in Muscle Shoals this week, and I'm talking with author Helen Cassidy Page. Ms. Page lives in San Francisco, and she publishes fiction and nonfiction. As a fiction writer, she has published mysteries, romance, paranormal suspense, and historical fiction. In addition to being an author, Helen Cassidy Page is also an editor, writing coach, and life coach. When she's not creating or teaching. She enjoys traveling, cooking, and photography. You can find her work at www.HelenCassidyPageBooks.com. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, I'm very excited about this particular interview because I've been perusing um, your page, your your author page, and you have written quite a lot, so I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing from you. Um, before we get started, tell us just a little bit about about yourself, where you live generally, and and what you what you do in your life right now. Well, what I do mostly is write. I write and edit. Uh, I am. Uh, I think the thing that makes me stand out a little bit on Medium, which is where I do a lot of my writing, is that uh, I'm 80 years old. And I did not start my writing career on Medium. I have been writing for almost 50 years. I published my first book in, I think it came out in 1976. It was a cookbook. And I had started my career. I I was a medical secretary and I worked at Stanford in the medical center and I had been teaching cooking I was a follower of Julia Child before she before nobody knew who she was. Uh, And then I started giving cooking lessons in my home. And I got a little bit of attention for that. And a friend of mine who was a cardiologist at Stanford asked me if I would cook, if I would write a healthy cookbook with him. I had not done any writing. And I said, sure, I didn't really take it seriously. I didn't think anything would come of it. But because we had Stanford's name attached to it, mm-hmm. we did get attention and we ultimately got a contract. And, when, and I was the writer. And mm-hmm. when I sat down, I, I had I'd done no writing. When I sat down to write, it was like this portal opened up in my life. And mm-hmm. I knew I had found my passion in life. And as much as I love cooking, I knew writing was my thing. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> I then embarked on uh, my path to discover really how to write and, and, and what to do with this because you couldn't publish online. And, and I was sort of in the dark, except that I knew I had to follow uh, this thing that had right. become awakened inside of me. And so, you know, the years passed and, and um, Eventually, we wrote another book, and then when I was in my early 70s, um, it became possible to publish. I I had done a lot of writing. I had taken, I mean, I studied 
writing was my passion and I studied right. writing. I was, I got published in very small things, but I really did not get published uh, traditionally. When I was, I think, 72, I'd had open heart surgery. And five weeks after that, uh, I was in a position where I had to earn a living. And I took a course on how to publish on, uh, on Kindle. And I published my first book. It was a cookbook because I knew how to do that. <laughs> And I, all of a sudden, I made a ton of money, and I just awesome. kept going. And so now it's eight years later, and I've got 55 titles on um, on Kindle. I write, I've, I've published children's books, cookbooks, uh, romance. Uh, my The work of my heart and my life is literary historical fiction about uh, Ireland and the Irish famine. Um, and recently I've started writing supernatural fiction, which I absolutely love. Oh, wow. And then I discovered six months ago Medium, and I've been publishing personal essays there and having a great deal of fun. That sounds wonderful. And, and obviously this is your passion because um, you have been a prolific publisher and um, a publisher, author, published several different types of books and series. And I love, I love books that are, have a common theme. And when mm -hmm. you want to find one by an author you like, you can read three or four of them. So I'm yeah. looking mm -hmm. doing that. So you began writing when you, when you wrote this cookbook. Yeah. Before that, did, were, did you enjoy reading a lot? Did you have Oh, other I've been a reader, yeah. I have a theory and um, it's very unscientific. But because of my age, um, you know, I go back before television when radio was the only entertainment. And um, I can remember as a young child sitting with my ear up against this big console radio, listening to stories for kids. Mm -hmm. There was a program on Saturday morning called Let's Pretend. And people my age may remember this. And it was a, um, a program where the same actors would come on every Saturday morning and they would read and, and act out these stories for kids. And I think the beauty of that was that you didn't have, you didn't watch a screen. You had to use your imagination to imagine, bring these characters to life. And I think that was very helpful to me as a storyteller because mm -hmm. it encouraged my uh, ability to envision characters and envision scenes. I also um, had the benefit of being born into a family of storytellers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm first generation Irish and the Irish really are storytellers and my mother was a wonderful storyteller. And, and I think I got that from her. And, um, and I read from, from my, my, I have a, uh, she passed away this year, but my sister was 14 year, years older than I was. And she read stories to me uh, <clears throat> from the time I could walk. Oh, wow. And when I first started to read, I would read until I was blind. I mean, it was my <laughs> favorite um, uh, uh, thing to do. And what was interesting to me, as I look back on it, 
when I was in my 20s and probably early 30s before I started writing, I would catch myself editing. And I, I would say to myself, I don't like that sentence, or I shouldn't have used that word. And I don't know if other readers do that, but I became critical uh, or sensitive to language. And, you know, now I'm an editor, and I realized looking back on it, language, words, um, stories have just been a part of my life mm -hmm. from the get-go. Yeah. And, yeah, I found that to be a common theme with a couple of the other writers that I've interviewed that just words just seem to be sort of the thread that holds everything together for them. Right. That, yeah. Know, yeah. And you can tell when you read their writing too, the words just, there's just a, there's a, just a beauty in the way they put words together that seems almost effortless. And I think, I think, that that's probably that's one of the reasons that I enjoy your writing is because it just it's almost there's just a beauty in it but then in your pieces that are personal it's almost like I'm sitting at a table with you with some coffee and you're just telling this story so oh, you know that's so wonderful to hear Laurie because I can tell you and you're a writer so I'm sure you know this it's not effortless um, you know, when I first started writing, I mean, if I go back and look at the first cookbook that got published, I cringe at the writing um, because I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I had no, um, I'd never taken a writing class. I just sat down and, and, you know, there was some introduction to recipes and, and I had to write a lot about healthy eating and, and eating to take care of your heart. Um, <clears throat> But when I got serious about writing and started studying writing and, and going to writing classes, people would say, oh, you write beautiful sentences, but I don't understand what you're saying because <laughs> I wasn't clear. You know, I mean, I, I would get lost in what I was saying. And a big challenge of mine as a writer was breaking down, was reading what I had written and breaking it down and editing it so it was clear, so I was able to really communicate what I was saying. And, and it, that's very hard to do. And, and it takes a lot of time. I mean, you know, there's, there's a big question. I don't know if it's the same now because anybody can really be a writer going on publishing online, but before that was an option, a big question in the writing community was are writers born or are they are they taught are they made right and i think storytellers are born i don't mm -hmm. think and i just know this from being a writing teacher and having writing clients you can't make someone become a storyteller that's something that's in you you see stories or you don't right and it's not a judgment it's just i'm not a numbers person i don't see <laughs> I, you know but I see stories. However, you can make someone understand language and how sentences should go together. And, and I don't mean grammar. I just mean uh, you, can make, you can teach someone enough language and structure to, take, to put their stories into a form that communicates what they want to say. But it's hard work. I mean, you know, a day of writing is physically exhausting because it's hard work. It really and, I've done that for 50 years. So, you know, <laughs> it's gratifying to hear that, you know, some of that work has paid off that somebody can feel 
that I am communicating with them because that's my intention. Now, as far as your um, fiction and publishing um, on Amazon, and that's interesting that you, um, that was one of the first things that you did when you started writing in earnest later was publishing on Amazon, because that's something that I didn't even realize was an option until after I had tried in vain to be traditionally published with a manuscript that I was a little too married to and then self-published and and then it and then I realized oh there's this other option <laughs> yeah so um tell us about your first experience going through that process well <clears throat> I I'll back up just a little bit in that I wanted to be a literary writer. I, you know, my dream was to have a story accepted by the New Yorker or yeah. to have a book reviewed in the Sunday um, New York Times book review because that to me was the kind of literary acceptance I craved. And that was the kind of work I put into my writing. Yeah. Um, but that's very hard to come by. Yeah. And it wasn't happening. And at one point I realized, you know, I'm really not a short story writer. I'm a novelist. That's just the way I see story. I just see a bigger piece of story. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I would say about 20, it was after I started the second cookbook. Um, I would say 20, between 20 and 25 years ago, I got started writing about the Irish famine, which in itself was a surprise to me. And I don't have to go into that here. And I worked on that. It took a lot of research. I'm not a historian. The story just came to me. And I started working on it. And I was working full time at the time as a secretary. And I would write in the morning and write on, at night. I had developed a daily writing practice, which I live by and which I advocate for writers. But I would pour over the sentences and I was a perfectionist about my writing. I worked on that book for 18 years. Wow. And, I, and, and a lot of things happened to me in the meantime. And at one point I realized it's too late in my life to go through the hoops to try and get this published mm -hmm. traditionally and at that point Amazon came along and mm -hmm. I went online to figure out how I could support myself as a 70 year old and yeah. I found this guy who was teaching courses and he said you can publish books and so that's what I did and I really had my nose in the air about self-publishing I was mm -hmm. willing to publish cookbooks online yeah. But I had my nose in the air about publishing my literary books until I realized I'm never going to get this published traditionally. I don't have enough time to waste to find an agent, to have the agent. I've been through that process. I've had agents. I know it takes, you know, once you finish a book, it takes three years before you even, you know, the book gets to the bookshelf, to right. the bookstores. <clears throat> so... After a while, I thought, okay, I'm just going to start publishing pieces of this uh, novel, Irish novel. At least my family can start reading it. And so that's what I did. And, you know, it happens to be my biggest seller. And I haven't published all of it. I published it in series. And then I started writing other things. I wrote 
I started writing cozy mysteries. I started writing some children's books and some romances. And some of them, you know, sank like a stone and some of them, you know, continue to do well. Um, I did take a course that taught me how to get a book uploaded yeah. on Kindle from this guy. And, uh, you know, once I figured out how to do it, I knew how to do it. And um, Kindle really, Amazon really makes it relatively easy. Yeah. And lo and behold, and I, I started early enough so that it was relatively easy to promote a book. So I had enough success to keep me going. Yeah. And, you know, these days you have to do a lot more promoting advertising oh. to get a book so to get book sales yeah but um like medium anybody can do it and there are some remarkable success stories on kindle like if, if you've seen the movie, the movie martian yes that started out as a self-published book on wow. amazon and there are other people who've not only there are people who just figured out the marketing and they have made millions of dollars with their books, there are other really wonderful writers who've also gained an audience. And they would not go to a traditional publisher. They have control over their writing. They yeah. have control over covers and distribution. And, you know, that's, that's why we're there. And, and those of us who you know, aren't in that upper echelon, still get readers. I mean, I never thought I would be writing supernatural suspense with right. these characters that I'm in love with. And yeah. yeah, you know, I can write anything. And fortunately, I have, you know, enough good health at 80 years old, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was one of the things that was so, um, I guess, impressive to me when I went to your page is that there is such a variety but that was also I think for me that was also kind of comforting because we're told a lot you need to find your niche and write about this thing and write in this genre and that's your lane and for some of us so many different things are interesting it's just hard to find one lane one genre one yeah. type of book you know one type <laughs> of writing and so I was like well see look, she's got all these kinds. So, <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I recently started an email newsletter to followers. And one of the things that I was, that I have in draft is talking about my lack of a niche. And um, I wanted to ask my followers, what is it they'd like to hear from me? What would they like me to write about? Because Whenever I think, okay, this kind of article is doing well, maybe this is what I should write about. The next time I do it, it doesn't do well. Yes, I know. There, but there are, I think there's, there's one, if I have an agenda or a little bit of a mission on Medium, it's to show, it, it's to um, dispel stereotypes about people my age, yeah. being able to walk across a room and chew gum at the same time because I do know there's a stereotype about aging and people don't expect an 80 year old woman you know I basically started a new writing career a new writing um, 
uh, gig for myself. Yeah. And that's, I, I know that's a bit unusual. You know, other people do it, but it's not the mainstream. Right. And I do write articles to say, you know, look, we're still alive. You know, we're still, you know, there are a lot of terrible things happen when you get old. But given the whole population, that's really a small subset. You know, they're, they're, Alzheimer's and dementia is terrible. But the percentage of people who are stricken with that disease is a small percentage of the 80-year-olds. And the rest of us are still functioning and still productive and engaged with life. And that's, I like to write about that and exactly. give a spin on that. And other than that, I sort of write about whatever I, I published today, an article about a marriage. I've had two marriages and one of them had signs from the get-go that things were not going to go well. And the big sign was that during the wedding ceremony, my wedding ring fell into the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> How clear could it be? <laughs> and I said, you know, I should have brought a fishing pole instead of a bouquet to my wedding. So I sort of, uh, you know, I'm not a kiss and tell writer. I don't write. I'm not interested in digging up personal traumas and exposing people yeah. that way. That it's I'm past that in my life. Yeah, I might have done that at one time, but it's just and I, that's not a criticism of people who do it. It's just not it's not me. Right. Um, but there are things I have had experiences that if I think, you know, there's something here that someone could learn from, I'll write about it. Yeah. And this was about you know. You, there are signs and yeah. there really are signs <laughs> yeah i think about the, the weird out-of-body experience as i ascended the steps of the church in my first wedding and i thought oh my i'm i'm terrified and of yeah. course we're all terrified but it was a different kind of terrified yeah. of course yeah. we ended up divorcing but you know so was that a sign but then i got two wonderful awesome kids out of the deal so mm -hmm. you know that's yeah. that's one of those things about life. For every yeah. decision you want to rethink, good things happen too. So yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, well, you you um, talked a few minutes ago about writing practice, daily writing practice, and I'm a big believer in that as well. I didn't used to be, but man, I've learned my lesson. So yeah. tell us about your daily writing practice and what that involves. Well, <clears throat> my writing practice came out of the biggest writing disaster of my life. Um, I, I wrote a second cookbook with the cardiologist from Stanford 20, roughly 20 years after our first one. <clears throat> we got a big contract from a big New York publisher this time. Oh, wow. And um, sadly, uh, in the middle of writing it, it was kind of thrown back in our faces. And it was, it was a devastating experience to have that contract cast, canceled. Not only was, uh, did I think, you know, I was going to retire on this money because it really involved a lot of money, but it, it just, it, it was very humiliating. Everybody knew I was writing this book. It was going to be a yeah. big book. And, and as it turned out, the whole publishing industry went through, um, a, a depression and it happened to a lot of writers but at the time it felt incredibly personal mm -hmm. and I it, 
it was devastating to me. It was the biggest rejection I think I've ever experienced. And I vowed I would never write again. I would never show writing. I would never discuss writing again. It was such a painful, painful, painful experience. As it turned out, <clears throat> a year later, my daughter was at a party, met an editor at Chronicle Books and said, oh, I should tell you about my mother's book. And she basically sold the book to Chronicle Books and it got published. That's awesome. It, it really was. And then, um, uh, and, and it got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. I mean, it was, wow. it, it was wonderful. But <clears throat> um, it took me a year before I was able to even consider writing again. And I had to go back to work as a secretary and I would write. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to write for myself. And I would write 15 minutes a day in the morning before I went to work. And I printed out and I would write, I would edit it. And I would keep a page with me in my purse so that when I opened my purse, I would see my writing and I would know that's my real work. And even though I had to go to work as a secretary, it was like that piece of writing was my umbilical cord. Oh. And I did that. And I just, for 15 minutes a day, I never showed it to anybody. I never told anybody I was doing it. I just did it every day. And it was, it sort of helped pull me out of, you know, this very dark state I was in. And it, because writing is my life. Yeah. And eventually, obviously, I started showing my writing again. <laughs> <laughs> but I can understand, you know, it's almost like, I can't think of the word, but it's, you want to pr protect this very precious part of you after you've been burned, so to speak. Well, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, I mean, to me, when I first started writing, and when I started writing fiction, uh, and this was after the cookbook was, was published, it seemed to me, and I would show, I would take a writing class and I would show something, it seemed like the writing was an extension of my skin. And if somebody, you know, criticized it, 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 it was a physical pain. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's what a creative work is. Oh, um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, eventually I, I, I couldn't keep this to myself. I had to, you know, say, well, I've written this. What do you think? And the writing just took over and the story took over and yeah. I made a commitment to do this for 15 minutes every day. And then at one point I, and then I took a writing class and then at one point I found the Irish story and that came to me. I got invited to join a fabulous writing group and I was writing half an hour in the morning and then I was getting late to work because I was writing. <laughs> and I have been doing that pretty much for 25 years. And I realized it's not just the writing, but when you do something like that and you are committed to it, you learn other things. It's not just the writing. Right. You know, I, my body would react to something that was wrong on the page and I couldn't see it. But I knew that my body, you know, I get this twinge. There's something wrong here. Yeah. Whereas if you do it sporadically, you don't maintain that connection to your work. You don't get fully engaged. And I think that's part, and, and I would learn things about myself. I learned things about, I mean, we all deal with doubt and 
and that inner critic. And I discovered, you know, when I was reading this piece of work, and I thought, why am I doing this? Nobody cares about this. This on and on and on. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep writing. And I realized I can write with that nonsense going on in my head. Yeah. I don't have to use that as an excuse to stop writing and deal with the criticism. And I, I couldn't do that when I was, you know, a stop and start writer. Yeah. The kind of criticism would stop me and I'd have to get my courage back and my confidence back. Yeah. But because I was writing every single day, I came to a point when I realized, okay, I have thoughts in my head. I can just write through them and eventually they dissolve. And, uh -huh, yeah. and it was all of those things that made me convinced, that convinced me that writing every day, it's part of, if, you know, if you're a writer, it's what you do. You do it every day. And, you know, if you have to earn your living, otherwise, well, then you do that. But you make, even if it's 15 minutes, you make time. Yeah. And, I can't remember, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but I remember someone saying that, or reading somewhere recently, that your job is what you go to do so that you can pay for what you love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What you love. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, um, as far as you, I know that you're a, also a mentor to writers as well as an editor, as far as your mentoring goes, tell us a little bit about how that came about and what that process is like for you. Well, I started um, giving writing classes. Um, I guess it was sometime after the second cookbook got published, and I can't remember how I discovered this class, but I applied for <clears throat> uh, uh, an adult education program in a school near me. I live in San Francisco, and this was in Marin, and okay. they, uh, and I proposed, I have, I have this notion about the discipline of, of writing, and the thing that kept me writing every day was uh, the notion of discipline and mm -hmm. so many writers find discipline hard. So I looked up the definition of discipline and disciple really is a follower. And that made so much sense to me. I thought I am, uh, instead of thinking, okay, I have to maintain this discipline. I looked up the definition of discipline and it comes from disciple and disciple is a follower. And I knew instinctively that I was a follower of writing. And mm. that's what kept me attached. Not because I had to maintain, you know, the discipline was like this club that I beat myself with, that I had to do it every day. But I was following my writing by writing every day. And so I developed this course on the four disciplines of writing, which was craft and perseverance and so forth. And I presented it to a high school. And that got me teaching. And, uh, and then I, um, various people asked me to edit and I've been in a writing group and writing is just such a big part of my life that most of the, so many of the people I know are writers. Mm -hmm. Writers would be referred to me 
And I have always loved working with new writers, writers who struggle with stories, struggle with their, because I feel writers who need encouragement because I feel I have really gone through the wars with rejection, with self-doubt, with struggling, with trying to learn. You know, I didn't go through a writing program. I mean, I just would find books and I would hear about a course here and there. Uh, and, and I just, I never gave up. And I came to a point where I could sit down, you know, here I am at 80 years old and I can, I publish on Medium every single day, sometimes twice a day, and I can sit down and think, okay, what am I going to write today? And I can come up with a thousand or two thousand words. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's not because I'm 80 years old and I can still do that. It's because I have 50 years of working at this. Right. I have 50 years of knocking at a wall mm-hmm. between me and my creative life. And that's what it takes. And that's what I love to tell people. Don't give up. It's so it's hard. Everything is hard. Having a baby is hard, you know, and you don't say, Oh, you know, being a mother is hard. I think I'll stop. You know, you do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if you want to be a writer, this is what you do. You do it on the days when the words flow and you feel like, you know, you're going to get a Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. And you do it when you feel like, you know, you've just written the worst piece of garbage in the history of, of writing. Oh, yeah. And you do it every day because that's what writers do. Mm-hmm. And you come to a point where you look back and you say, I've learned things. Yeah. And then I've learned a few more things. It's just like athletes or musicians or exactly. some days the some days the four mile or five mile or ten mile run is effortless and some days everybody's okay. heart aches. But That's just, exactly right. It's exactly okay. right. But it's easy to give up. That's the thing. It's easy to, because nobody is knocking on the door and saying to an unknown writer and saying, oh, please give up. Please sit down and write something. Nobody says that. You know, if you have a pretty voice or you can play an instrument, you can go to a party and people will say, oh, come on. Let me, sing us you know, a song. Let's have a piano. Yeah, <laughs> sing a song. Play the piano for us. Nobody does, nobody's going to say, oh, tell us a story. You know, read us something you've written. Nobody does that. Yeah. Nobody uh-huh. does that. That is so true. Writers need, and you know, if you have a painting and you, you can hang it on your own wall and people will come in and say, oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah. But if you're a writer, nobody will come and ask you to read something you've written unless you've published it and you've given a reading and people have lined up for your autograph because I have been there. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. So it takes a certain self-motivation that I don't think other arts, no art is easy, but writing takes a certain self-motivation that is just really hard. And I get a great deal of satisfaction over helping people get past that and do the thing they love because they know they love it. Well, that is, I mean, I think that's a wonderful thing because I think that, and I know, I think that new writers or writers who haven't put their toe very deeply into the pool are just so overwhelmed and intimidated by so many things. And, and 
it's not even a high stakes game for me. So I can't imagine some of these writers, especially on medium, medium that are trying to make their living from writing right now. Right. Um, you know, it, it's nice to have someone come alongside you and say, keep doing this, don't stop, you know. Right. And um, I had those as for most of my life, I either taught or performed or both music. And I had people in my life that did that for me with regard to music, which is why I'm still performing now. And um, I know you, I saw that you're a musician. I didn't know that about you. That was, I've, I've always loved writing and music. And I, I really credit both my parents with the storytelling, especially my dad. That's how he kept us from killing each other on long car trips. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom was a music minor and she just really fostered that love of music and singing. And um, I really, at some, in, in my college years, I really thought I was gonna be a famous singer. And oh. that didn't happen because the big open door I had came my sophomore year of college and my parents really urged me to stay in school. Cause they're right, if I had gone off then, I probably never would have finished. Um, but and then, in, then life happens and you get married and you have kids and, mm -hmm. A few years ago, I like I I thought, well, I'm in my mid 40s. It's too late now to pick it back up. And um, one of the things my husband has done for me is encourage me that it's not, and help mm -hmm. me invest in some sound equipment. And now I, right. you know, I'm not ever going to be in Carnegie Hall, but I play at venues all around where I live, and it's fun. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What what kind of singing do you do? Uh, mostly classic rock, some modern people like Lady Gaga and Pink and. Um, so a little bit of country, a little bit of jazz. Um, the town I live in is sort of a prolific music town for its size. In fact, they did an independent film about it a few Where years ago. Where do you live? I live in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Oh. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, these pe when people come to, you know, the bar or the restaurant or the sports bar to hear, they want to hear a little bit of everything. So mm -hmm. I just do a little bit of everything. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, I'd love to hear you sing. Oh, well, one day I might, you know, get brave enough to write a story about that journey and like put a link to YouTube on me. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, let me know. But, um, well, um, because you are um, so experienced and because you have been farther down the road than a lot of my listeners and a lot of uh, the people that we rub elbows with every day on Medium. If someone were to say, I need just, I just need some piece of advice or inspiration to help me make it through the rest of this week because I'm just not in the mood to write. What might you tell them? Um, <clears throat> I would tell them that there's gonna come a day when they're gonna be 80 years old like me and they're gonna look back and they're gonna say, oh, how I wish I had that moment back again. Mm. I would handle it very differently because time goes by so fast and the effort that it takes to get past the moment of I don't feel like it is not worth the regret you will have for passing up an opportunity to pursue the passion you love. Mm. 
very, very good advice. Very and good everything advice. in life is hard if it's worth something. That is so true. I think we romanticize, and I know I did in high school and college when you're young, you think of a writer as this creative eccentric person who wakes up at two in the morning with a brilliant idea and then they just, you know, don't eat or sleep for 48 hours until it's all poured out. And that's not really how it works. <laughs> you know, I mean, it might work that way, but that's not really how it works. And you know, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I think might be useful to your readers because it was incredibly useful to me. And I don't know if this is still available on television because I've cut the cord and I have Hulu. I don't have regular cable anymore, but there used to be cable channels uh, and cable programs like the Actors Studio. Yes. And other interview programs, Charlie Rose used to do it, who is thankfully not around anymore. <clears throat> but people used to interview uh, best-selling authors, you know, mm -hmm. authors who would have a bestseller, but, but really good people. Mm -hmm. And I just gravitated to these authors because I had the feeling that, you know, best-selling authors would just sit down and the words kind of fell out of fingers. Yes. And they would talk about the same struggles I had. Right. They would talk about what they had to do to keep writing during the day. Yeah. That, you know, I remember there was one writer, I can't remember his name anymore, but he was very well known, at least in the Bay Area. And his wife would actually lock the door and not open it until his writing, you know, maybe he'd write four hours because he kept wanting to get out and get <laughs> coffee and make phone calls. He couldn't yeah. sit in the chair. Uh, I had an excellent writing teacher who had a friend who got published a lot. And he would make phone calls till about 11 o'clock at night until finally nobody was awake there was nobody he could call and distract him. And then he'd start writing because yeah. it was so hard. And people would talk about all the, all the struggles with writing, with staying with it, with reading stuff that just sounded terrible after they thought it was good, with having rejections, with, with writing a book. The, the Life of the Geisha, or the, the Geisha Notebook, whatever that Geisha book was, yeah. it was um, so memoir. popular. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> I remember him in particular, he said it was very hard to write that book. And he said that he wrote it three times. He wrote it in third person. He wrote it from different points of view. And each time he got finished with it, some important mentor would say, it's not working. And finally, he knew he had to write it in the first person from the point of view of the geisha. And oh, he knew yeah. it all along, but he, he said, I didn't know how I was going to do that. I was so afraid of doing that. I just, I wrote it every, every other way to avoid doing what I knew I had to do. Yeah. And that's why it took me 10 years to write that book. And I thought, I feel that way. There are things I know that are just too hard for me to try. And I learned you have to try them anyway. Yeah. And I learned so much from reading about writers who talked about their process. And no matter how successful they were, even if Joyce Carol Oates, as prolific as she is, talked about how difficult it is to stay with a story when it's not yeah. going well. 
And yeah. that gave me, I thought, well, if they're having trouble, that makes me feel better. What do I have to complain about? True. That's very true. I remember the, I hate to say it at his expense, but the relief I felt when I heard the story about how many rejections Stephen King received. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can trying then. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you one more story because I don't know how much time we have left, but I'll tell you one more story that was very, very helpful to me. I took a number of very expensive writing courses from a guy who was an editor at a big publisher and I think Esquire or some big uh, magazine in, yeah. in New York. And then he came out to California and he started, among other things, giving private uh, writing classes, and I learned a tremendous amount from him. Yeah. And somebody had asked the question, you know, how do you break into publishing? How do you, and this was before the, you could publish online, and then he said, right. how, somebody said, you know, how do you get a story published in these magazines and get noticed? And he said, the problem is that you send your story to an editor, and unless you have a good reputation, no editor wants to take a chance on you, because the editor has to justify a decision to buy a story to the editor-in-chief. And if the story right. flops, the job is on the line and nobody knows what's good. And that was the line that I've never forgotten. Nobody knows what's good. It has to be published and accepted by the public. The stories have to, be, the books have to be bought. The stories have to be well-reviewed before <clears throat> somebody will say, oh, this is a good writer. So, okay, we'll publish all of their stories. Yeah. And when he said, nobody knows what's good, I thought that's absolutely right. Because, you know, it's all based on opinion. It's all based on, you know, it writes to it, a story, a book will appeal to one, one editor, one type of readership and not others. And, right. you know, if you miss the mark with the wrong group, you're left out in the cold. I mean, it is such a subjective, the business end of writing is so subjective. And yeah. That's why you have to separate the business end of writing and publishing from the creative work. Exactly. You do the creative work and then you deal with the business end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very, very good advice. Well, I thank you so much for talking with me. I, I am very excited for our listeners to hear this episode. And if you would like to check out um, Helen Page, Helen Page's books. You definitely want to check out her books. You go to HelenCassidyPageBooks.com and that link will be on the blog and on the blurb about the podcast on Spotify and Anchor and the other avenues through which you can listen. Uh, she also writes on Medium.com and we've talked about that a little bit the last couple of weeks. For $5 a month, you can join Medium and read any type of writing you can possibly imagine as much as you want to. It's a lot cheaper than buying four different magazines because you like four different types of stories. Everything is right there. So thank you so much for talking with me again. And um, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Oh, thank you. And the same to you, Lori. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate you inviting me. I'm glad you could join us for this episode. Be sure to visit Ms. Cassidy's site at www.HelenCassidyPagebooks.com and take a look at some of the diverse works that she has to offer. I'm reading one of her mysteries right now, and I plan to dive into the historical fiction next.
You can also read writing by Ms. Page on medium.com. And remember, if you sign up at medium.com for just $5 a month, follow me at Laurie Livingston Nave on Medium, and send me a message with your username, you'll be entered into the January 1st drawing for a $50 prize. Just email me at wordsfromtheriver at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be talking with Christina Ward about her love of poetry and her latest book. Have a great weekend. Horoscopes, that ain't real, Santa Claus.